You turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23. I'm going to read beginning in verse 1. Matthew 23, verse 1. Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you, do and observe, but do not according to their deeds. For they say things and do not do them. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men, for they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of their garments. They love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by men. But do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, and you are all brothers." Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. Do not be called leaders, for one is your leader, that is Christ. But the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people, for you do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Verse 15, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, Whoever swears by the temple, that is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple is obligated. You fools and blind men, Which is more important, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, that is nothing, but whoever swears by the offering on it, he is obligated. You blind men, which is more important, the offering or the altar that sanctifies the offering? Therefore, whoever swears by the altar, swears both by the altar and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple, swears by both the temple and by him who dwells within it. And whoever swears by heaven, swears by both the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. This morning we have read this section of scripture, and I will deal mainly with these verses 13 to 22. I want us to see properly the identification of the Pharisees in leading into the Olivet Discourse. The Lord Jesus is showing his prophetic ministry before he ever talks about the end of age. He's already showing his prophetic ministry and is teaching not only in this moment, but even before his triumphal entry and his running the money changers out of the temple. All of that is a combination of the work of Christ, king and priest and prophet. 
And here we'll see him as prophet. He's already prophesied some before the triumphal entry, and now he's prophesying once again. And specifically, he's picking up the identification of the importance of the law of God, that not one jot or tittle shall be changed, but that the law of God should be understood rightly. Not only in the mental context, the law should be understood, but what it means to the mind and heart, the soul of a person. Jesus made it clear in the Sermon on the Mount that there was a distinction between, between those who just lived the law in the very essence of the physical nature of the law versus one who lived the law according to the mind and heart and from the heart they acted properly. Here he's making a distinction very clearly that the religious leaders of his day, the scribes and the Pharisees, have set themselves up in the chair of Moses. And he said, fine, listen to what they say about the law, but do not follow what they do. That's an interesting context, isn't it? You can listen to what they say, because if they're teaching the law properly, listen to the doctrine taught properly, if that is so. Because remember, in Jesus' day at this time, the law had not been uh, fulfilled in its context by the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So he's saying, fine, listen to their teaching, but do not follow them. Because they do not the deeds of the law. In making this pronouncement, he reminds them that these men are not their teachers, that they have one teacher. They have one Father who is in heaven, and they have one Christ. And they are bound together through Christ as brethren of the one true living God. He says, But the greatest among you shall be your servant, verse 11. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. These Pharisees were exalting themselves. Everything was about the nature of who they are and what they wanted from the power and what they could gain in being these religious leaders. And Jesus was going directly against it. It's very interesting that some 1,500 years later, Martin Luther would face quite the same mentality. As we talked about last week on October the 31st, 1517, him nailing those 95 theses to the door of the Wittenberg church. He was meaning this in the context of let's have discussion. One author notes that it was Luther's students because those statements were written in Latin, it was Luther's students who took them and translated them into German, and several printers picked them up and had them printed in German and had them uh, placed all over the town of Wittenberg, and they went beyond Wittenberg. By putting them in Latin, Luther never meant for those statements to be a discussion among the whole of every single person in the German land. He was saying to the scholars, to the, the priests, the preachers of the day in the Roman Catholic Church, let's discuss the gospel rightly. 
The Lord Jesus, though, was setting up something even greater when he came against the Pharisees of his day. He was saying, I know what I'm doing, and I'm doing it so that my sheep will not be in bondage and slavery to misinterpretation of the law and misappropriation of the law. Martin Luther, in one of the 95 Theses, he says, number 28, it is certain that when the penny jingles into the money box, gain and greediness can be increased, but the result of the intercession of the church is in the power of God alone. He was saying to the church of his day, you can go and put money into a box and someone can tell you that you can get a family member out of purgatory, but that really changes nothing in the actual intercession of the church against sin. Only God can take a soul and make it alive. He says they will be condemned eternally together with their teachers, number 32, who believe themselves sure of their salvation because they have letters of pardon. You could put money in a box request a letter of pardon for you out of purgatory or even someone else. And what was going on in Luther's day is that you could even request a letter of pardon for a dead loved one. If you would just put this money in this box, well, where was the money going? The money was going to the Pope. And the Pope was going to build a, a brand new uh, just edifice of his own worship. Lutheran number 35 says, They preach no Christian doc doctrine who teach that contrition is not necessary. Speaking of repentance, he opened up with the doctrine of repentance in number one and said penance and repentance are not the same thing. To repent is to turn from your sin to Christ. Penance is to keep trying to fix it yourself. And he says that's not the gospel. They preach no Christian doctrine who teach that contrition is not necessary in those who intend to buy souls out of purgatory or to buy confessional. You can see why this made the church at Rome so mad. Because Luther was going directly against not only the teaching of the church, but the activity of the church. You're teaching people wrongly because you're not teaching them the gospel. Luther had learned this from reading the scripture and the Lord Jesus himself directly going against the Pharisees and the Sadducees of his own day. Number 80. Luther says, the bishops, curates, and theologians who will allow such talk, speaking of talk about, uh, that's wrong about the gospel and about the cross of Christ, such talk to be spread among people, they will have an account to render. Luther is saying, you're going to face the judgment if you don't start getting this right. Number 86, Luther says, why does not the Pope, whose wealth is today greater than the riches of the richest, build just this one church of St. Peter with his own money? 
rather than the money of poor believers. Number 92, away then with all those prophets who say to the people of Christ, peace, peace, and there is no peace. They weren't preaching a gospel of peace through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were preaching the idea of peace through man's works and ultimately that was no peace at all. God will not have peace with men on their own way, on their own merit. He will only have peace with men through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Luther knew it, was studying it, reading it, and understanding it. The more you read the 95 Theses, the more you you understand how Luther was facing similar things in his day. Because verse 13 of chapter 23, the Lord Jesus says, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. That's pretty strong language. I would even say that's stronger language than some of the things that Luther said in his 95 statements. Although if you read all 95, you could see why the Roman Catholic Church has got their blood boiling. These are not small words by the Lord Jesus. These are not words without consequence. They're judgmental words. Words that the Lord Jesus himself could pronounce from his very person. This morning I'll have two main points. We won't get to the third until two weeks from now. Two main points. The first... Jesus grieved over the coming judgment of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Jesus grieved over the coming judgment of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And number two, Jesus preached against the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Jesus preached against the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Number one will be a little shorter. Number two, we'll dive into some more specifics. But we need to recognize the importance of the term woe and see that Jesus grieved over the coming judgment of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Seven times Jesus used the word woe. Now, some of your versions will have a verse 14 in brackets. Uh, Some of your versions don't have a verse 14 at all. Um, The reason is those brackets give you an understanding that the early manuscripts that we have do not have verse 14 in there. And if you want to have some discussion about the compilation of the canon and how we've gotten our canon and contextual uh, understanding of that and either even textual criticism, then we can have that discussion a little bit later. But you need to recognize that over a period of time, we've been able to have great numbers of parchments, of texts, of even fragments of Scripture that have been combined to be able to give us an understanding of the whole of the the New Testament scriptural teaching. And early manuscripts do not have verse 14, which probably means it was some type of note that was added later by one of the scribes. And then over time, people started adding it into the text, but it was not a part of the original text themselves. We have none of the original manuscripts, but we have thousands 
of textual pieces that give us the understanding of what the New Testament teaches. So this woe here was added later. And that's why many of your versions have it in brackets and some of your versions don't even include it at all. That is verse 14. So we got that out of the way. If you want to talk about that later, we can. But recognize I'm going to teach the seven woes here. And I think there's seven. Uh, Scott and Robin and I have discussed this in the context of being the number perfection. So there's seven woes here. And I think the Lord Jesus did that on purpose. Well, first of all, we need to note the meaning of the word woe. As one writer says, woe is a verdict as well as an expression of sorrow. Woe is a verdict as well as an expression of sorrow. When Jesus says, but woe to you, he's making verdict upon the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He's saying, you're going to be judged. And yet at the same time, It is also an expression of sorrow. The Lord Jesus does not, does not love in a sense of joy, does not love this pronouncement of judgment. He does it by statement of fact, but he does it out of love to the Father. And yet at the same time, there is a sense of him grieving that these men will not turn. Woe to you. Go in the Old Testament and do a a search of the word woe and see how many times woe is used to bring a pronouncement against the people of God. And there is a sense of grief when God does it through the prophets or when he speaks himself in another way to say, Woe to you. Why won't you turn? Even though there is this sense of grief, Letter B, seven times Jesus pronounced sure condemnation. Sure condemnation. As one writer says, woe is to be understood as an expression of regret and compassion. Jesus is not exulting in the punishment that must come, but he is making it it clear that the punishment will come. The person who leads others to sin is storing up grievous trouble for himself. Woe to you. You are leading this life and you're leading others down that road. Woe to you. Woe to you. Woe sometimes has the context of making an appeal. We can see some of that in 1 Samuel 4, 7 through 8. Where even the Philistines know that God is dealing with them, that he has come into the camp, and they say to themselves, Woe to us, for nothing like this has happened before. They're making an appeal to themselves. Whoa, wait a second. We need to think about what we're doing here. This has never happened like this before. When Jesus uses this pronouncement, it is a sure condemnation. But it also has a sense of the grief. Jesus recognizing the grief that these men are bringing upon themselves and the ultimate condemnation that will come with it. 
for their lives are hollow and they are leading others to a life of hollowness in God's word. Well, secondly, this morning, Jesus preached against the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Jesus preached against the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Letter A, Jesus seven times judged these men as hypocrites. How many of us like being called a hypocrite? I mean, that, doesn't that just fly all over you if somebody says that to you? You're getting in some debate with somebody about something, and they look at you, well, you're just a hypocrite. I mean, the hair on the back of our neck just stands up. Who do you think you are? Jesus has no problem leveling this judgment. But it's not a hollow judgment, and it's not just a verbal defense and deflection of his own issues, for the Lord Jesus is perfect, even in his humanity. When he levels this judgment, he's saying, you men are actually hypocrites. Jesus noted in Mark's gospel, rightly did the Isaiah, Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. This gives you an indica indication of what a hypocrite is. A hypocrite is someone who will honor something with their mouth, but their heart is not in it. It also begs the question, what is a hypocrite from this word in and of itself? From the word in and of itself, hypocrite, hypocrites are actors who publicly say and do one thing while inwardly they think with sinful motives to work toward another self-centered purpose. Hypocrites are actors who publicly say and do one thing while inwardly they think with sinful motives to work toward another self-centered purpose. This word for hypocrite actually has the identification of actor in it. You know, what does an actor do? Sometimes an actor will play a part that is nothing like them. They will give this acting job, so to speak, to where they portray themselves as a doctor. And little do we know, they could no more be a doctor than a man on the moon. It happens all the time. We see it in... TV and play and all, all these types of things. Someone acting something out, but it's not really of them or in them. And that's what these Pharisees are. They're hypocrites. They're just actors. They're playing a part. They're acting as though the law of God is serious to them. The law of God is important to them. While they tell all these people about the law, and yet they do not do it themselves. But what's even worse about them is because their inward thinking with their sinful motives is working toward this self-centered purpose, they're actually twisting the law to make the law work in their personal favor. The priests of Luther's day were taking that money some of them were giving it back to the Pope to build this huge St. Peter's church. 
but some of them were taking a little bit out for themselves. Telling the people of God, if you will give this money, we can help your soul and the souls of your family members and some of the souls of those who have even died. So give it. And this is all for a spiritual purpose for people's souls. And yet the whole time, they're taking pieces away for themselves, gaining something for themselves without telling people what they're doing. Since the Pope had enough money to build the church himself about ten times over in Luther's day, why did he need the money of all these poor people, especially the German poor people? Luther was saying to the priests of his day, you are hypocrites. You are playing a part. Because many of these priests took a vow of celibacy, but yet they had many women on the side. They had children out of wedlock. Now the Lord Jesus would have said that vow of celibacy is against the Scripture. But if you're going to take it, Why do you take it in such a way that you break it? So the Lord Jesus is dealing with a very similar mentality in his day. The hypocrites are the Pharisees and and the Sadducees, and he's judging them rightly. But it's interesting, in these seven times he calls them a hypocrite, he doesn't just level the charge... Letter B, Jesus seven times explained why these men are hypocrites. Jesus seven times explained why these men are hypocrites. Number one from verse 13. They sought to block the way to the kingdom of heaven. They sought to block the way to the kingdom of heaven. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people. For you do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Proverbs 12, excuse me, Proverbs 24, 11 says, Deliver those who are being taken away to death and those who are staggering to slaughter. Oh, hold them back. Jesus is saying this is the opposite of the Pharisees and Sadducees. You're actually leading these people to the slaughter. You're commanded from the wisdom literature of the Old Testament to hold back those going to the slaughter. But what you're doing is you're actually leading them to the slaughter. He says, is it not enough that you're going to the slaughter yourself? but now you're going to lead others there instead of holding them back? You see, Jesus here starts in one sense from the greatest. He starts with the kingdom of heaven. He says, you are keeping people from the kingdom. You're leading them astray. You're not simply just telling them the wrong thing, but you're then telling them other things that lead them away. 
And this is about the kingdom. This is about their eternality. What greater judgment can there be on individuals than to say to them, you're not only keeping people from the kingdom, you're leading them away. You're not only a distraction, but you actually are putting a ring in their nose by distorting God's law and misinterpreting it. You're putting a ring in their nose and you're leading that cow to the slaughter. And it's not just any slaughter, it's an eternal slaughter. It's eternal condemnation. The Lord Jesus is making it clear. You have broken the ultimate understanding of the first four commandments because you are making yourselves idols and you are making your teaching idols and you are leading people to worship you and not God and therefore you will endure the slaughter but sadly you are leading people to the slaughter themselves when you are supposed to be holding them back. I hope you get how serious a charge this is. It helps us to understand why James says what he says about teachers, that they need to be very thoughtful before they teach the word of God. How careful we must be in teaching God's word. doesn't mean we'll always be perfect. It doesn't mean it'll always be the perfect sense and essence of every term and every thought. But we ought to have the ultimate goal to get things right about the kingdom and the gospel itself. If we preach the gospel wrongly, then we're leading people toward the slaughter. This is why it's so important for elders and churches to have the gospel right. The church needs the gospel right. The elders who lead the church need the gospel right. Because there's a serious condemnation for those who will actually lead people astray from the very gospel itself. This is the charge that is made against these Pharisees and Sadducees. It's one thing for a teacher to have error on a point of doctrine, something like the end times or eschatology. It's another thing, though, for a teacher to not only have error in the gospel, but ultimately teach a gospel that leads people astray that's no gospel at all. How many churches today are not getting the gospel right? See, this is what Martin Luther was fighting for, getting the gospel right. Number two, from verse 15, they sought to make rebellious followers of the kingdom of hell. They sought to make rebellious followers of the kingdom of hell. 
Number 2, or verse 15, is an extension of verse 13. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. In essence, this gets worse from the first pronouncement. They're not just leading people toward the slaughter, but those they are leading away when they can make them an actual proselyte. They make them a rebellious follower of their own way. And they are twice, twice as bad as the Pharisees and Sadducees themselves. I want you to note an observation here. It's one thing to block others from the kingdom of heaven. It's one thing to block others from the kingdom of heaven and another to completely lead them away from it. There might be a person in error maybe not even a Christian who teaches something that blocks the proper view of the kingdom of heaven, that's one thing and it's bad enough. But it's another to completely lead them away from the kingdom. I say woe to us in this church if we ever stop getting the gospel right. Woe to us. Here, these Sadducees and these Pharisees are actually searching out people that they can turn to their way. And when they turn that person to their way, they do what most followers do. Those followers take it to the next level and the nth degree, and they become worse than the ones who taught them. Luther would fight this in his own ministry. He would have some of his own followers who went directions that he never intended. Because sometimes people get a hold of things and they take it to the nth degree. I say to you, we need to be careful to give the right information about the kingdom of heaven and also to give the right leadership to the kingdom of heaven. Number three. They sought to confuse minds concerning the significant versus the secondary. They sought to confuse minds concerning the significant versus the secondary. Now, I use this as an overarching theme uh, for the next several woes here. And this is really three of the seven woes concern this identification, that they sought to confuse minds concerning the significant versus the secondary. Letter A, under number three, the primary matters of sacrificial worship were confused. The primary matters of sacrificial worship were confused. Verse 16 to 17 was the temple versus the gold of the temple. Verse 18 and 19, the altar versus the offering on the altar. And verse 20 to 22 tells us 
The truth is that the item is only a type or representation. So the significant focus is on the God who prescribed those types of worship in worship unto his glory. Now let's look at this for a second. Woe to you, verse 16, blind guides who say, whoever swears by the temple, that is nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple is obligated. They're making a distinction here that's not necessary. Jesus says, you fools and blind men, which is more important, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold? What was the purpose of the temple in the first place? It was at the presence, the tabernacle, then the temple, that the presence of God would dwell among the people. And the priest would go in and be able to make a, a sacrifice appropriate to what God had commanded. Now all of a sudden they're going to quibble over taking and making a vow by the temple versus the gold of the temple? Then, in verse 18, he says, Whoever swears by the altar, that is nothing. But whoever swears by the offering on it, he is obligated. You blind men, verse 19. Which is more important, the offering or the altar that sanctifies the offering? He's saying you guys are not even thinking logically. Without the altar itself, there would be nothing for the offering to be put onto. God commanded the altar be built in a certain way, and in the building of the, the altar, he gave something that the offering could be put onto. He says, you guys, you, you're, you're trying to really strain things out here. Verse 20, therefore, whoever swears by the altar, swears by both the altar and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple, swears by both the temple and by him who dwells within it. And whoever swears by heaven, swears by both the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Jesus puts all of this in perspective and says, each one of these items is a type it is secondary to the significance of the one who is being revealed. Every one of these items is simply to reveal God and his work. Think about that for a minute. Why did God make the altar? He had the altar made so the sacrifice could be made. He made the temple so that sacrifice could be made in the temple before the presence of God. He says, you need to understand that if you're doing any swearing, if you're taking any vows or making any oaths, ultimately all of this is done before God himself because it's done before the throne of God because God's kingdom is eternal. God is not bound by the temple. You guys have mistakenly put this into a context where you're taking one little small item and making it way bigger than it's supposed to be. The secondary is more important than the significant. It helps us to understand that they have completely been perverting the law itself. When God gave the ceremonial law, when God gave the judicial law, 
when God gave the moral law, it was never that the law in and of itself would become the one entity of focus. And Jesus tells us that when he sums up the Ten Commandments. The first four commandments, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. The purpose of all of the law given to the nation of Israel, that which is moral, that which is judicial, and that which is ceremonial was always to be about God himself. He's actually saying to these Pharisees and Sadducees, you're stealing the very glory of God because you're turning the law to have people look at you and glory in you and say, Oh, wow, what a teaching. Aren't they wise? Jesus says, you've perverted this. The temple was built for the people to understand that God would dwell among his people. When we... Get into chapter 24, we'll discuss more idea, the fact of Jesus tabernacling among his people. And it said God came and dwelt among us. This was the idea of the tabernacle being shown in the person and work of Christ. No longer would the presence of God, would, would he put his presence just in that temple for that time in that sense among his people, now they would see the presence of God in the person and work of Jesus Christ. He would dwell among us. And through the Holy Spirit, he continues to dwell among his people. Amen? He says, you guys are perverting this. You've taken the secondary and you've made that significant. When really there's only one significant thing here. It's God himself through his son, the Lord Jesus, according to the work of the Spirit. Leave you with this observation on this point. The physical item of religious display should never replace the spiritual reality it is meant to convey. The physical item of religious display should never replace the spiritual reality it is meant to convey. We've been commanded to sing psalms, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. But in many of our churches today, the music itself has been termed as worship. Preaching is not even considered worship anymore. The music itself, to entertain the mind and get our minds going and welling up our passions and our emotions, has become the God. Is God the God of the emotions? Yes. Should we sing psalms and hymns unto him? Uh, using our emotions of joy and praise? Yes! We're commanded to do that. But when the physical entity becomes the focus itself and you're missing the actual significance of what it points to, many Christian songs today have gone so far that they are singing unto a God that's not even described in Scripture.
Our worship has become so horizontal. It's about men, people. But it's not vertical. It's not about who God is. We've replaced. God gave us the command for psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. But we should not replace him and worshiping him by focusing on the music. That's just, I had several others here, but I'll, I'll move along. The primary matters of sacrificial worship were confused. Letter B, the primary matters of first fruit worship. I think for time's sake, I'm going to stop here because I want us to recognize what's taking place. The Lord Jesus has moved into a place to deal with the context of what real worship is. He said to them, you have made the sacrificial system for your purpose and not for my glory. You have taken the law and you have twisted it so far that now you've actually twisted worship to the point that when you lead people in worship, they're no longer worshiping God. They're worshiping you. Woe to the church that worships the praise team or the praise leader. Woe to the church that worships the pastor. Woe to the church that worships entertainment. Woe to the church that twists God's word. The physical item of religious display should never replace the spiritual reality it is meant to convey. Amen? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we bow before you. We admit we are imperfect people, still battling remaining flesh. Those Those struggles are ongoing. Lord, will you help us to focus on the true significant matters of your commands? And that is ultimately pointing to you, that our souls would be aligned with you, that we would want to do your will and not our own will, that we would want to give glory to you and not give glory to ourselves, that we would want to see our gain be given to you that we would not be those who look to have gain in all of life for ourselves to be glory stealers Lord we ask for your mercy upon our souls we pray for all of the local churches all over this world those who are professing Christian churches all over this world, we ask, Lord, that you would bring reformation, 
that we as local churches would long to be reformed to the truth of your word. Lord, help our local churches not to be churches that are self-seeking, self-aggrandizing, and self-glorifying. Make our local churches local bodies of believers who long to glory in you through your Son, the Lord Jesus. Lord, we know there will be no perfect local church this side of heaven and the return of your Son. But we ask in this place, please, Lord, help us to make sure we keep the significant in its proper place and we do not make the secondary more important than the significant. Give us peace among ourselves and brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, will you lead us away from temptation, fighting amongst ourselves, always wanting to be right. Will you keep us near to the truth of your word? In Christ's name we pray. Amen.